Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, September the 13th, 2022. It is currently 9.57 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I absolutely love opening my email and seeing all kinds of emails from listeners, right? I love the emails where they're like, that was so encouraging. That was so awesome. That was a great. I love the encouraging emails. I love the emails filled with questions. Well, what about this? Or what about that? Or what about this? I love the emails that contains, you know, like uh, I, I give an assignment or homework or I, I ask for three things, whatever the case may be, and people respond. I love Make I love when the listeners are engaging what I'm doing and talking to me about it because typically, I mean, I mean, most of these podcasts are recorded in an empty room, right? I'm in an empty room here in Abilene, Texas. I don't have any. The only way I get feedback is from well, an email. That that's I'll, I'll, when I'm done. I just walk back downstairs, going, "Okay, was that a good episode? Was that a bad episode? Did I accomplish anything?" I have no way of knowing. So when people email me. That's always very encouraging because even even if it's like I didn't really like it, at least tells me something. It gives me something to go with. But (laughs) there is one kind of email that strikes fear in my heart because I know that no matter what I do, I'm probably going to end up losing a listener. That's that's typically how it works. This is the way this kind of email tends to work out. Let Let me explain what happens. I'll get an email and someone will say, Oh, I absolutely love this sermon. You should review it. And I'm like, well, that's a bad idea because they love it. I will, will review it. And there's a good chance. There's a, a maybe a, there's at least a possibility. There's at least probability that somewhere in it, I may not like it. I may disagree. I may even criticize it. Well, then I just offended the person who thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. Or someone sends me an email going, man, this sermon is a train wreck. It's a disaster. You should review it. Well, what happens if I review it and I'm like, this really isn't that bad? Then I offend them and they they can't see why I don't think it's bad. So those kinds of emails always frightens me. I still love them because I want to review things that people need me to review and want me to review. So I I still will do it. I just always know, oh boy, this, this could go way wrong because I may not give them the review that they want. Uh, and and a lot of times, and, and of course you all know this, when I do a sermon review, I don't listen to it first. So you you can tell me it's good, you can tell me it's bad, but I'm still going into it blind. I may go into it with some idea of what you think, but I have no idea what's getting ready to occur, so I can only react to it in real time. I, I hope people appreciate that whether you like it or whether you dislike it, you do know one thing. I'm going to try to be, I, I think I try to be as fair and is honest with my thoughts about whatever I'm reviewing, and hopefully that's beneficial. Now, I say all of that because I got an email the other day in regards to a sermon. Now, this individual had some issues with the sermon. Now, they did not go into any detail, which is good, because I I like to know as little about the sermons I'm going to review as possible, because I don't want to go in it with some kind of prejudice, some kind of preconceived idea, right? Oh, this is good or this is bad. No, I I like going into it blind. So I'm like, okay, well, don't tell me about it. And I said I would review it and and give them my thoughts. 
Um, I hope that what I'm about to do will be beneficial to everyone. The name of the sermon is The Younger Days of Jesus. Now, that's already interesting because the Bible doesn't say a lot about the younger days of Jesus, but okay, okay. So that, that at least caught my attention. It's only 31 minutes long, so that scares me, and I know I know it should not scare me, but when I, when I see a 31-minute sermon, I'm like, uh, what can you really do with a text of Scripture in 31 minutes? What can you really do? I mean, I would have a hard enough time reading it, providing context for it, and then trying to do anything, then trying to do anything with it. So, uh, so I'm already a little bit concerned there, but I'm going to review this. Now, I told the person I am not going to give the name of the pastor or the church or anything like that. I'm not going to even tell you where the sermon was found, where it came from, because um, I'm just trying to help someone out. Um, the goal here is not to get any, to have any conflict or problems or try to embarrass a pastor or try to, no, there's nothing like that. And remember when I review, I don't know what, I I don't know what I'm going to review. So no one can think that, oh, he went and found a sermon, thought it was really bad. Now he's going to tear it apart. No, this situation, someone asked me my thoughts on a sermon. Now, look, I could listen to it and then try to type out the email, right? But you know how it typically works. If I get ready to listen to something, I like to listen to it with you guys, right? I'm like, like, hey guys, it's, I'm getting ready to listen to a sermon. You want to listen in? Now, sometimes it, sometimes it's not that interesting. I mean, sometimes you choose a sermon and maybe when it's done, you don't, you're not that interested in it. You're like, I, I don't think that was that great. So I never know what's getting ready to happen, but I just like the idea that we're listening to it together. Now, if you're listening live, please, at any point, add your thoughts, your opinions, you can always email me, newsif at yahoo.com with your thoughts and opinions as well. But again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give the name of the church, I'm not gonna tell you where this sermon was found. Nothing. I, I'm not, I mean, it's not about that. It's about here's just a sermon. How was the word of God handled? What's good in it? Because what I've found, even in sermons that I think are bad, there's usually something good I still find and I get something from it. And there are sermons, and I mean, I, I if the word of God is preached, I'm happy. Right? I may not like what they do with it, but it'll still the word of God is being preached, it's being taught, and that gives the listener the ability to struggle with it and deal with it. And I like hearing the different perspectives. So I don't know what we're about to get, but we're going to find out together. And hopefully to the listener who emailed me, I hope you're about to get what you, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to get what you want or get what, hope, I'm, I'm hoping you'll at least get what you need. If, if, you, if you need me to review this, you, I am going to do that and hopefully it will be somewhat beneficial. But are you ready? All right. Here's a message that was sent to me just a couple of days ago. I'm a little behind in getting to this. I'm a little behind and I apologize, but we're going to, I'm going to try to finish this in one episode, in one episode. And it's hard to review 31 minutes of audio in one episode if I don't want the episode to be two hours long. But I know what you're saying. Be quiet and get to it and you'll have a better chance. You're right. So here we go. I don't know when this was preached. I don't know what year. I don't know what month. I don't know what state. I don't know what country. I don't know anything. I haven't listened to any of this. So here we go. Until he says this, I came not to bring peace, but bring a sword. Then all of a sudden he's in the public enemy number one. Whoa, okay, that's that's where the audio file really starts. I got to back that up. There, that is weird. Okay, all right. That I don't know if they they forgot to hit record. I don't know. I don't know what. It's just like boom. It's just right there. 
Uh, like he's in the middle of talking when when the, uh, when they started recording. Uh, what was that? I think is he referring to Jesus saying, "I didn't come to bring peace; I came to bring a sword." Let me let me listen to that again. Here we go. Until he says this, I came not to bring peace, but bring a sword. Then all. All right, so I don't know who they they were referring to there, but I'm assuming he's talking about Jesus did not come to bring peace, come to bring a sword, and then he ends up public enemy number one. All of a sudden, he's in public enemy number one. Uh, that's funny how that turns out like that. Well, I'm not a Baptist. I'm a Christian. I observe Christian teachings till you see what Christ says, and all of a sudden you say, well, that, that's just negative. I don't know if I make a bottle and diapers big enough for you, but it's time to grow up. Okay, so um, a lot, I guess what he, he's, he's, he's starting out by saying a lot of people don't like Christ's teachings because they're negatives. He doesn't know if there's, I guess, I'm, I'm, uh, there's a bag of diapers big enough for you, so you need to grow up. So if you don't like Christ's teachings, you need to grow up. It's an interesting approach. I'm just pausing because I think if we're deep down and honest, do, 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 don't we all have a problem with Christ's teachings in some way, shape, or form? Because we have a nature that rejects it. We have a nature that hates it. Aren't we all in the same boat that in this, that we, we on one hand, we say we love God's word, but in our flesh, I hate God's like isn't there if like if we're if we're honest isn't there a tension in all of us? I I, I think so. I, I don't know if it's just like you know you need to grow up. I, I I don't know if it's okay. Just an interesting approach coming coming out of the gate in a kind of a more negative way. That's okay. Uh, there, there's times a sermon may need to be negative. There's time maybe it needs to be more positive. It's just I'm just trying to it, because this starts so abruptly. I'm trying to immediately go. Okay, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so what's the what's the the? I remember when I listened to a sermon, I try to figure out what's the thesis here. What 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 what's the main point here? So, all right, let let's see where he's going. Time to grow up, and what a better place to do it, and what a better day to start than right now. That's right, Putting those things which are behind. I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And as we look, we got 52 verses, 1,094 words in this chapter, all inspired by God, kept forever perfectly in our King James Bible, beginning at verse 41. It says, now his parents went... Okay, so this seems to be a, a KJV-only church, all right? I'm very familiar with the KJV-only background. Now, I do use the KJV in all of my teaching, that's what I do. Uh, you'll hear me reference other things. Um, I went to plenty of Bible colleges and seminaries that were KJV only, so I know I know that teaching. All right. Uh, let's see here. I'm assuming he's in Luke two forty one. I mean, I missed that because I was I was I was just trying to process everything. Um, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So Luke two forty one seems to be where we are. All right. Yes, yeah, K, uh, KJV only, yes, uh, someone else just pointed out. So it's a KJV only church. Um, Luke 2.41 is where they are, and uh, if I said something else, if I said something other than KJV only, I apologize. All right, Luke 2.41, I'm just trying to, trying to, I'm trying to process where this could possibly be going. Okay, all right. It's just kind of weird, he starts off with, you know, Jesus came to bring a sword, he didn't come to bring peace, and that... You, you need a diaper and you need to grow up. 
And now we're into Luke 2.41. So it's a, I don't know exactly the context of the previous statements. So I'm going to disregard the previous statements and just start right here, Luke 2.41, and then let him introduce that. And maybe that's what, that that's the best way to figure out what this sermon is about. Here we go. Went to Jerusalem every year to feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they had found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. All right, let's stop right there. Now, if we were doing like a hermeneutics class or a Bible study exercise, I would probably give everyone the assignment or even a lot of times, even in my own preaching, I would look at everyone in the congregation and go, okay, we just read Luke 2, 41 to 52, 41 to 52. There's lots, obviously, there's a number of verses there, but if we were to take these verses and group them together, what's the main concept here? What's the main thesis here? What is actually being said? Like, because sometimes in preaching, it's very, it's very easy to do this in preaching. You have... 10 verses, 11 verses, 9 verses, whatever the case may be. And sometimes you can get so preoccupied with every single verse, right? And 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 this can happen in verse by verse preaching. It's very dangerous it can happen in verse by verse exposition. You can see each verse and so almost each verse becomes its own individual sermon, its own individual point. And when it's all done, you've preached Luke 2 41 to 52. And each verse or phrase or word becomes its own individual sermon, but you miss the actual main point of that section of scripture. In other words, you can, you can get so caught up in each verse that you miss that all these verses fit together in many cases to focus on one major point. I, I know that, that if you're, if you love verse by verse preaching, and obviously I do, I just know that, it, that I, I'm always continuing to criticize and analyze my own preaching. And I can go back and go, man, when we went through that, I think I had like 10 sermons over those maybe 10 verses, but maybe I ended up keeping people from understanding what those verses together was. Here's the main point. The main point's not to give me 10 sermons. Sometimes one section of scripture is there to drive home one point and preachers can block, keep people from the point because we're interested in 10 different sermons. I, I hope that makes sense. So I don't know what he's going to do here, but I would want you like right now for, to start thinking, what's the main point? What's the main issue here? What's, what's the main point of Luke 2, 41 to 52? It tells, one, 
It gives us one event, right? It's a historical narrative recording one event, all right? And we have the issues that happen here, right? Jesus, they end up in a sense, well, I don't want to take it apart too much, but what would you think is the major point here? What would you think is the major focus in that section? I don't want to give anything away because I want to see what he's going to do with it. But I think that's a, that's, I think when you're analyzing preaching or a sermon, you have to just always ask yourself, did the sermon keep me away from the text? I, I've been, I've been trying to put forth this, this concept a lot. It feels like over the last year, I think 2022, this has shown up a lot. A lot of times one theme kind of emerges in my podcast and in my teaching. And I think this has been a big one that so many times sermons actually get in the way of the text. We want a sermon. We want a Sunday school lesson. Now, what we want to do is get people to the text. So what's the central idea in Luke 2, 41 to 52? If you were to summarize it. Now, if you can, if you can determine that, then when you listen to the preaching, you can then be, be cautious that the preaching is not actually keeping you away from the text. And listen to me. Sometimes those sermons may be great. They may be biblical. They may be true. They may give you great sound biblical principles. The only problem is they're doing so at the expense of the text because they're keeping you from the actual text itself. So let's see how he handles this section of Scripture. As we look today at, the, at this passage of Scripture, I want to preach to you down the younger days of Jesus. There are many stories about the childhood of Jesus, none of which are true, but this one is. This is the one Scripture records. This is the inerrant, inspired, infallible record of what happened with Jesus at this age. I used to hear stories about when Jesus was little, this, this, and I come to find out those are not Scripture. They probably did not happen. So how do you know? Because they didn't make this book. There are truths contained outside the Bible, but the Bible is all truth. And if it left all that alone and didn't want to record it, my Lord didn't want it recorded for a reason. But what I do have before me, I want to study carefully and take in what's here because I believe that the examples he gives here in his younger days are very good examples for our younger and older children we have here today. Oh, boy. Okay, so he's approaching the text that the purpose of the text is more not descriptive, but prescriptive. It's prescribing an example and how younger people, younger and older children should conduct themselves. That, that this is saying, the story about Jesus is really saying, this story is here to show you, this is how you're to conduct yourself. This is how you are to act. Now, preachers almost always handles, we almost always handle the text that way. It's built into our, it, it, to our DNA, right? I mean, if, if, if I'm going verse by verse and I'm like, okay, this next Sunday, I'm in Luke 2, 41 to 52. Okay, what am I going to do with this? And immediately you start thinking, how can I make it applicable? How can I apply this? How can I make this challenging? How can I make this convicting? And, and the only danger is sometimes we may make something, hey, this is prescribing what you're to do, but we sometimes stop to ask, is that really what the text was attempting to do? Was this text giving things that we are to do or is this text there to give us some information about what we should know about Jesus? Is this about Jesus or is this about us? 
See, when I start making it prescriptive about what I should do, I make the text more about me than I make it about Jesus. I'm not saying that there isn't something. I'm just saying that that's that's the kind of thing you should start analyzing. So what's the major point here? His argument is the major point, really, is that's prescribing how you are to conduct yourself as a child, younger or older. Let's see how he plays this out. And just so you'll know, I'm not talking just to this area right over here. There is both younger children and older children here today. You know how I know that? You had to get here by parents. None of you were immaculately conceived or some alien dropped you off. Oh, man. Okay. Immaculately, immaculately conceived. None of you were immaculately conceived. The immaculate conception. The Immaculate Conception. Oh, man. Okay. Let me just help you out here. Let me just help you out here. I I could tell you, but I'm just going to do this so that you can do this with me. If you'll open up a web browser and type in Immaculate Conception. Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception is the belief that the Virgin Mary was free of original sin from the moment of her conception. Now, he just tried to make a, none of you were immaculately conceived because you have parents. Immaculate conceived does not deal with being born of a virgin. Immaculately conceived means being conceived without a sinful nature. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is, oh, this is so mad. You, You cannot even, I cannot even begin to count to you the number of times I've heard Protestant pastor say something about, well, none of you were immaculately conceived. And I'm like, do you know what the immaculate conception teaches? It's the doctrine that Mary was conceived without original sin, that she was free from original sin from the moment of her conception. This is like basic knowledge 101. I, <laughs> what is sad is one time I'm at work, I, work in, I worked in the medical world in the military. And I worked with this nurse who is uh, who is Catholic, and uh, she would consider herself at least moderately, uh, you know, committed Catholic. And so she said something about the Immaculate Conception, like you know, uh, I don't know, I don't know why parents uh, something about along the lines that you know uh, about uh, someone being immaculately conceived, but it was the idea of that someone being you know born of a virgin. And I was like. Do you you know what the Immaculate Conception is? She's like, yeah, like, you know, born of a virgin. And I'm like, no, it means that Mary was conceived without sin. She's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're you're some dumb Baptist. You don't have any clue. And I'm like, no, you don't have a clue. So she got really mad. She she grabbed the phone, put it on speaker, called her priest and said, will you tell this Baptist guy what the Immaculate Conception was? And and so he stopped. He said, well, what does he think it was? So I told him and he said, you're, that dumb Baptist guy is right, and you're wrong. And she was so embarrassed and so angry with me. Um, it, it doesn't require a lot to understand what the, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. But I'm not going to be – let me, let me state, state this. I'm not going to be so critical of him because I, too, have said things incorrectly about a doctrine or a theology from the pulpit because you're in real time, and you, I do that sometimes even in my podcast – but I will say there is a 
deep misunderstanding and much of the Protestant world about exactly what the Immaculate Conception is and isn't. And I would do this because, well, before we know it, it'll get, we'll get, we'll get close to December. And a lot of times the, the term Immaculate Conception will be thrown around. I would challenge you to do this. I know one of the people who are currently listening, he's a Sunday school teacher. You need to ask the people in your Sunday school class, what is the Immaculate Conception? And if you say, well, I don't teach, just walk around your church this coming Sunday. Hey, uh, what's the Immaculate Conception? And just let me report back how many people get it right and how many people get it wrong. So let me make it very clear. The Immaculate Conception is the belief that the Virgin Mary was free of original sin from the moment of her first conception. Has nothing to do with kids being conceived by a virgin or not having a parent or whatever. Even, even I don't even know how that works. Yeah, I know there's older kids here because none of you got here without a parent. You weren't immaculately conceived. Well, okay, I, I, never mind. I, I, don't, I don't exactly even know how you carry that all the way up. But okay, okay. So we had to fix that. Uh, that that's, that's unfortunate. All right, let's continue. No matter what you look like. We'll back that up a little bit. We'll back that up a little bit just because I want to get a little context here to what he was trying to say. We'll go all the way back to like two minutes and 49 seconds. Alone and didn't want to record it. My Lord didn't want it recorded for a reason. But what I do have before me, I want to study carefully and take in what's here because I believe that the examples he gives here in his younger days are very good examples for our younger and older children we have here today and just so you'll know i'm not talking just to this area right over here there is both younger children and older children here today you know how i know that you had to get here by parents none of you were immaculately conceived or some alien dropped you off no matter what you look like (laughs) i don't know who told you you was but they lied to you boy you got here the same way we did Born of man and listen, and full of few of days and full of trouble, just like this book says. That's us right there. If I've ever read an accurate description of humanity, that full of uh, full of troubles is it, boy. We got it left and right. Last Saturday, the most devastating thing that could have happened to Gaffney, South Carolina, happened. The internet went down because one car hit one telephone pole. The internet cannot be brought back up because one utility company was on call and the other was there ready to put the fiber optic cable back together and they couldn't do nothing until the pole people got there. Mm. But wait, there's more. They finally got it back up and two hours later I got a notice, internet is now back on. But wait, there's more. By the way, I want to gripe with you for a second about something because I have nobody else to tell this to and you'll understand. They don't. Just, uh, listening to preaching is always fascinating. Just how pastors, like how we do things. I mean, sometimes what we do makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Look, look, I've done the same thing so many times. So I try not never to be critical. I'll be like, okay, here's my sermon. And then I'll get into it. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm going down some path. I know the church members like to make jokes. He's chasing another rabbit. It, it's so weird how your mind can work you because in, and you'll start down the path. In many cases, you'll think, okay, this, this is going to be a good illustration. And then you, you get about halfway down. You're like, where am I going with this? How did I end up here? And it's, 
it drives me crazy when I do that or when I go back and listen. So I don't know exactly. I, I, I don't know exactly. Okay, so none of you are immaculately conceived. You weren't dropped off by aliens. Uh, and we're all born full of, I guess, I, I, I think he's quoting from Job, full of trouble, days full of trouble, something like that. We all have full of trouble. Our horrible thing happened in South Carolina. The internet went down. Okay, joke, ha, ha, ha. And now I don't know. Okay, I don't know where he's going with this. All right, let, let's see where he's going. Okay. There's a thing on this phone. I'm hunting it here. Here it is. Let's say I had my call people uh, up here right here, and somebody called me, and I went to hit end the call, and you did first. So right behind that, what would happen is I go to hit the hang up button, and you hit it already, and I do this, and I'm calling Brian Martin, and I didn't even hit his name. Just boom, just like that. Would you believe that would happen yesterday? You're not answering. Anyway. <laughs> Brian said, Brian, I hung up right quick thinking, like when, you, when this happens to me, that I've hung up quick enough he won't know I called. Brian thinking, well, preacher could be in a ditch. Thank God he called back or something. He said, he said, you just called. He said, you just, did you just called me. I said, kinda. And he said, is your power out? Half a gaff was out power yesterday because one car. One car. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to laugh, but I don't really. I don't really know where this is going. Right? I don't know. Is this sermon about that we have life full of trouble? Is the sermon about that G Jesus story? This story here tells young people how to live, and I, I don't. I don't know. But all right, we're gonna see. We're gonna. I. I always love doing the. I, I always love doing the reviews because I am just in the dark as you are. Like I have no idea. Like I'm sitting. I'm always sitting here. Like. I got a pencil in my hand and I got a Bible. I'm like, okay, all right, think this through because I need to make some kind of great point. I need to be able to bring some great observation. And right now I'm like, where is this going? What? <laughs> and I'm trying to predict in my mind where it's going and I don't know. But let's see where it goes. Run through a telephone pole and in through a building. But wait, there's more. <laughs> How in the world did we suffer two straight Saturdays, one without internet and one without power? And by the way, if you ain't got power, you ain't got internet. So now we're two Saturdays in. And I'm thinking, what's going on here with this stuff? And why is it when I hang up with somebody, I always call somebody? That's my gripe. That's what I'm going to gripe. It's not, it's not Brian's fault. Well, that's my fault. Or whoever it was I was talking to and hung up on. I can't even remember who it was now. I'm so mad when I got through with that thing. I thought, why do these phones do that? I went to swipe a call to answer the other day, and the swipe went away, and the red button's there with the X on it. Right as I hit it, and I thought, how does that happen? It's a conspiracy, I tell you. So again, if you, you turn 50, they start making your phone work don't work right or something. But I'm looking at all this stuff, and I'm thinking, you know, we, we, we got this thing going on where we're all children of somebody. Okay. All joking aside, we're all children of somebody. But there are some places of importance to some people that's not important to others. If I can look at the young life of Jesus and see the places he placed importance on, I need to place mine on importance with that one. And that's what I'm preaching today about the younger days of Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do love you. We thank you, God, for letting us be here and be alive today. 
God, as we come in here and we smile, we laugh, we talk, we cry to different things, God, we pray, God, that you'll help us today. Lord, help us understand the scripture, most importantly, according to Psalm 119, verse 18, open thou mine eyes, then may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I pray, God, that you'll move and do a great work and help us today. And I pray, Lord, for you to work in us a great work today that will move and make a great thing in our hearts and lives. Help me to preach today according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray and for his sake. Amen. As we look today at these younger days of Jesus and see the places of importance to the young Lord Jesus, may these be important to you as well. Verse 41, we see the importance of his Passover. We see that that, that Passover, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. That Passover was God's reminder of deliverance for the whole nation of Israel. When they were in bondage in Egypt, they cried out to a holy God that heard them. Okay, now see, this is exactly what I was talking about. So what he's going to do is now each verse is going to kind of become a point, right? Each verse or every couple of verses is going to become a point. Now, this is common in preaching. This is like, this is common in preaching. A lot of people will see he's being exegetical. He's going verse by verse. And look, I've done this. So I, I by no means am I standing in condemnation or judgment of it. But it's just something that we always have to look at. If we're not careful... We're going we're gonna to look at each one of these little things like, okay, so the first thing here is the importance of the Passover for Jesus. Well, first of all, it's the parents who, who went there, all right? I'm not saying it wasn't important to Jesus, but the emphasis here is that every year the parents went to Passover, right? Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. The focus is on the parents doing this, nothing about Jesus, but he just turned it into the importance of the Passover for Jesus. And since the Passover was important for Jesus, the Passover needs to be important for us and the Passover points to redemption. So our redemption needs to be important to us. Now, as he as he takes this all apart and emphasizes that, look what's being ignored. What's the actual text? What's this actual section of scripture actually about? What's it actually about? We're, in other words, we're going to lose the mess. We're going to lose the passage so that we can get these points of a, basically a sermon. And, and it, it's so subtle how it happens. It's so subtle how it happens. But sometimes I'll, I'll talk to someone about it. Well, we'll be talking about a passage of scripture and I'll be like, and they'll start asking questions. And I almost always never answer the question. I always like, so what's the point of that section of scripture? What's the main point here? And they'll start giving me points. And I'm like, no, I don't need the point you heard in a sermon. What's the point of the passage? And it, and, and sometimes they'll be like, and, and sometimes after a sermon, you can ask, so what was the point of that sermon? And they'll start, and they'll start recounting the points of the sermon. I'm like, no, no, no. Or, or what was the point of that passage, I should say? And they'll start giving me the points of the sermon. And I'm like, no, no, no. What was the point of the passage? You're giving me the points of the sermon. What was the actual point of the passage? This is very subtle, but very important. And I've been guilty of giving people a sermon instead of the passage. I've, I've, I've been guilty of that too many times. So he, he doesn't seem too interested in saying, here's this section. Well, I guess in his mind, the point of the passage of scripture is to tell young people how to act. Uh, and... But it's just interesting the way he's handling verse 41. He's making it up in this in a sense, he's making it about Jesus, which really about Jesus's parents. But OK, let, let's let's continue. And said, I'll bring you out. 
God sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh and and wanted saying, let my people go, and he wouldn't let people go. And then God had sent a, a curse on them people, and he had sent those things out there, and then plagues and things. And then Pharaoh would say, ask God to quit, and you do anything you want to. Then when it stopped, Pharaoh would say, not yet. One time he said, you can go, but don't go too far. Right. You can go, but don't take such and such with you. The last of those was this Passover. And this time, instead of sending frogs or bugs, he sent somebody else there. He sent the angel of death there among them. The angel of death was there to take the firstborn of every house in Egypt, just the country of Egypt, that did not have blood on the top of the doorpost, on the sides, and on the threshold down there. If you get the picture of this thing, they slain a lamb and they put blood there. Just funny, like, does this passage have anything to do with the Passover? Is this about the Passover? Like, is this, is, is, the, is the point of this passage for us to go through the history of the Passover? Now, it's an interesting detail. I mean, if you don't know what the Passover is, I don't know if, if but okay. In this shape right here. He said, when he sees the blood, he'll pass over you. Everybody that done that, they woke up the next morning with the entire family still there. But everybody that didn't lost their firstborn. Of men and of cattle, it happened that way. And every year after that, the Jew to this day will sit around and think about that thing right there, about God's reminder of deliverance, how that Passover lamb was what brought the deliverance. That thing in verse 42 said when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast, and they went up there every year. And It's not only a reminder of deliverance, but it's a reminder of death where a lamb had to die for nobody, for no, no fault of its own. That was a picture of the 12-year-old in that verse that he was coming to be that Passover lamb. And Christ placed great importance on that Passover. And where he placed great importance, we also should place How are you getting that Christ placed great importance upon it? I'm not saying he didn't. But it's the parents taking him there. So was it the parents placing great emphasis on it or was it Jesus? Now, I know for his sermon, see, this is the thing. So many times we get caught up in preaching sermons that we once again avoid the, we ignore the text. I continue to, look, this may become the theme of this entire episode. Who's making the, according to the text, not according to the sermon, who is showing the importance of the Passover? I would say it's the parents great importance. It ought to be of great importance that we understand that a lamb died and shed innocent blood so that we might live. That's an important thing to the Lord. It should be important to us. If you look in the next verse down in verse 43, the Bible says, and when he had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and underline these four words, Joseph and his mother. Joseph and his mother. The reason that's very important today is this. Who is Joseph? That's a, who would that be again? That would be the stepfather at best? Or would he even be that? Listen to this. That's Joseph. 
That's all he ever was to Jesus was Joseph. That's who he still is to Jesus. The Bible's very clear, Joseph and his mother. If we get to looking at the logistics of this thing, uh, when we look at the fact it says Joseph and his mother, if you go looking around and you get to getting the whole picture of this thing, in the NIV, the Bible says, after the festival was over, his, while his parents were returning home, listen to this, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. His what? His what? That wasn't his parents. She was his parent. But Joseph wasn't his parent. That's very important today. That's a big doctrinal thing because, see, we're looking at the identity of his parents in that verse. Your Bible says Joseph and his mother. So apparently we've got one there that's not a parent. Uh, the New American Standard says, but his parents were unaware of it. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible in the 2017 update, but his parents did not know of it. English Standard Version of 2012, his parents did not know of it. Are you getting this picture yet? They're making Joseph his father. Not a word, not a word, not a word. Why? Okay. So, so the other translations are turning Joseph into the father of Jesus. Is he not the earthly father? Even in the King James, even if you look up in the King James, you got uh, John one forty five. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That's in the King James. John, let's see here, John chapter 6 of uh, 42. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Right? So, I mean, even the King James have situation. Now, you can say, well, others were referring to him that. that, And here, um, yeah, I, 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 is it wrong? Is it wrong to refer to him? I'm having, I'm trying to figure out what the controversy is here. Joseph and his mother. So Joseph there is just referred to Joseph and not father. Therefore, that's the way it should always be done. And uh, if if any other Bible refers to them as parents, it's a problem. See here, I think I have another translation right here. I'm going to look this up. Just, I'm just trying to see if I if I feel the same like when I read it. Do I do I feel the same like? Oh no, that's a problem. Let me see here. Um. Oh wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Luke two forty one. Now his parents went to Jerusalem. So in Luke two two forty one, Joseph is referred to as as his parents. He's complaining that in Luke 2, 43, other translations refer to that as his parents. Luke 2, 43, um, after those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. He is saying that all those other translations are trying to make Joseph his father and that they're incorrect. The King James does the exact same thing in verse 41. 
Now his parents went to Jerusalem. How can you, how can you criticize the other translations for referring to them as parents in verse 43 when the King James does the exact same thing in 41? Look, if you're going to try to create some like, oh man, we've got a problem with the other translations. They refer to Joseph and Mary as his parents and Joseph was not his father in any way, shape or form. He was just Joseph to Jesus. Well, Luke 2.41 in the King James <laughs> refers to them as his parents. Now his parents, not his parent. Does, does he not realize what he just did? <laughs> okay, I'm trying not to laugh, but I'm, I was just trying to go, where is he going with it? Like he's going to complain about the other translation? The King James does it in verse 41. Okay, all right, I'm trying to follow this. Uh it says we have chapters full of genealogies that end with Joseph. Okay, wait a minute. That's true. You see, um, let's see here. Um, all right, hang on. I'm getting notifications on my computer. Okay. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, somebody said we have uh, uh, chapters full of genealogies that end with speaking of Joseph. And it says so clearly there's an importance given to Joseph as a parent. That's true. But my thing, and all of that is true. We could look at other passages of scripture that would be like, it seems to imply the same thing, even in the King James. But I just think it's hilarious that he's complaining about how other translations handle verse 43, but he just ignored that the King James referred to Mary and Joseph as his parents in verse 41. So the King James is making Joseph to be the father of Jesus. So I, 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 I don't, I'm so confused by this. All right, let's see where he goes. Because we don't know what to do with that, but I'm going to tell you what to do with it. If I see somebody trying to make Joseph his father, I know that's not my crowd there. They don't believe he was born of God and they still don't. Wait. You're going. You're going to say that the that the NIV and these other translations who refer to verse forty three as jo, as their parents, that those individuals who translated that don't believe Jesus is born of God, that he had an earthly fa a father that was involved in his conception. In other words, I don't believe in the incarnation. They don't believe in the virgin birth. Well, then the King James translators don't because in verse forty one. <laughs> They refer to Joseph as his parent. I mean, what in the world? I mean, look, it's one thing to fight. It's one thing to point out a problem. It's another thing to create a problem out of thin air and, and to make accusations. This is a great doctrinal issue here. This ain't these and thou's, honey. They ain't this and ain't the and thou in the world big enough to tackle that thing right there. I, I see people denying the deity of Jesus Christ by making Joseph his father. Ain't that something? So the King James denies the deity of Christ because they he now his parents went to Jerusalem. Who are his parents? Mary and Joseph, <laughs> what in the world is going on? Okay, wow, I, 
Okay. All right. All right. We got to finish this. We got to finish this because I, I want to finish this in one episode. I don't want this to go. I don't want this to turn into a five part series, but I'm having a hard time making it very far here. I'm going to tell you what, you can go to the Greek and Hebrew and find out that the King James Bible's right right there. You can go anywhere you want to, and whether it says it or not, this Bible's right. That was Joseph. That wasn't his father. That's right. That was never his father. I'm not understanding. All right, I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna look something up. I'm gonna go to Luke two. <laughs> I'm just having a hard time here trying to follow. I don't know what he means. You can look this up in the Greek. And did he say Hebrew? I don't. I don't know why he's mentioning Hebrew here. But okay. Uh, Verse 43, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to look up here. It just has Joseph and mother. Um, and if I look up Joseph, um, it just says Joseph, the husband of Mary. Uh, okay. Uh, Joseph, the name of seven Israelites. Um, it says here, uh, the husband of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. Okay. Okay. I don't know what I don't know how this is supposed to prove something. I don't know. I I don't really know what. Uh, I don't know what exactly I'm supposed to be looking for. I don't know what exactly. Uh, I, I the bottom line is Luke two forty one refers to Joseph as Jesus' parent. That's a fact. You you can you can you can throw out all of these other things, but it's right there in the King James. I, I look at that thing and I say, man, if Joseph wasn't his father, then who was his father? We've already found out in Luke chapter one. Who was his father? God in heaven. God overshadowed Mary. Joseph never touched her after she had Jesus. Then he had some children with her. Now here's the thing for you to consider. Who would do such a heinous thing like that? Can I tell you today, so you'll know this and get this in, 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 inside? Now just remember, the sermon, the thesis of the sermon is that we're supposed to be learning what we're supposed to do as children and follow, like, like okay, if you're young, this, this text is teaching you what to do and following Jesus and how to follow Jesus and how to make what's important to Jesus important to you. Now it's turning into a conspiratorial that all the trans, any translation that refers to Mary and Joseph as the parents of Jesus denies the deity of Christ, denies the fatherhood of God to Christ and, and makes Joseph the biological. Of, I mean, they just make all these accusations, even though he's yet to acknowledge that Luke 2.41 refers to Joseph as his parent. This is crazy. I do today, heretics, cults, God deniers, Bible correctors, that's who would do that. They would misuse the identity of his parents, and the place where Jesus places importance is this. He places importance of his Passover and of his paternity, because he deals with it right there. Joseph and his mother. Listen to this one. What? He just referred to his parents. So Jesus places the importance of his paternity because in Luke 2, 43, 
And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. What? How is Jesus emphasizing his paternity there? Jesus is not saying anything. Okay, what, what are you talking about? Jesus is just staying behind. The writer here, now you can say, well, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, I, I guess you could go there, but the text I don't understand what in the world is going on here. So now he's trying to revert back to his thesis. This is showing what's, so what's important to Jesus is his paternity. So his paternity should be important to us. And his paternity is that the parents of Jesus was not Joseph and Mary, but was God and Mary. Joseph was nothing more than Joseph. Joseph was not his father. Joseph did not raise him. What? I... If they're not his parents and she's just one parent, then the other one's God, right? Listen to the inspiration of his of his literal parent, his other the other side of this. The mother's fallacy, if you look down at verse 48, this is what she says. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Apparently Mary's done on it too. Is she not wanting to tell everybody who he is and how he got here? Wait, Mary says something wrong there? Mary's in on it? Mary's in on it. So so this was a this was a conspiracy by Mary. To convince everyone that Jesus was not born of a virgin. But what is happening? Am I, am I confused here? Am I just like completely, I am completely baffled here. I am completely baffled what we're listening to. All right, let, I'm going to back this up. Okay, here we go him son why hast thou thus dealt with us behold thy father and i have sought thee sorrowing apparently mary's done on it too is she not wanting to tell everybody who he is and how he got here how about you do you tell anybody who he is and how you got saved see there's a thing about that so what is that that's called a sin that she just did with her lips. Mary was sinning? <laughs> Whoa, man, this has... Okay, I listen to a lot of sermons, and I am never... I Look, I am never shocked by what I hear, but I am a little utterly perplexed and confused. I mean, I'm not shocked. Sadly, by this point, I've heard so many. Look, when it comes to preaching, you never know what you're going to hear. You never know. Like it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's just, it's anarchy. It's just, there is no, there's no controlling hermeneutic. There's, I mean, it's just, you never know what you're going to hear. Listening to a sermon Literally, I have a better chance of going to Vegas and betting on things than I do of making any idea like, okay, that's the text. Okay, well, this is probably how they're going to handle the text. No, no, you never know. You're like, wait, what? What was their interpretation? 
What, where did that come from? Wait, how did you arrive at that conclusion? But at this point, I, it's just, I, I never know what, even when someone says, wants to start talking to me about script, I'm like, I don't know where this is going. Cause I never know anymore. It's just complete anarchy. But now Mary just committed a sin. <laughs> when she said, why have you? Okay, I am so confused here. All right, so Luke 2.48 records the sin of Mary. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. That she's in on the game. She's she's like, oh, guys, 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 guys. He's 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 not virgin born. No, 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 no. Joseph is his father. Joseph is his father. That she's that this is a cover up on Mary's behalf. <laughs> this is this is awesome. It's awesome in this. I have never heard anything like this in my life. Okay. This is man. Okay. All right. We, 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 I've, now, now I'm excited We're I don't care if we go eight hours, I'm finishing this. Cause now I've got to see where this is going. Therefore the blessed virgin is not infallible. Uh-oh. Oh my. Did you see what I just saw in scripture right there? This Bible just recorded the blessed virgin sinning. And ain't a Catholic in this world will admit that thing as a priest or any of the higher up people. Unless they say, of course now we all sin trying to make out like everybody's just like them. I got news for you, you drunk wino. Not everybody does what you do. Amen. We don't all do the same stuff. Look at this. The, the mother's fallacy was she named him all, Joseph off as a father as well. But then you see the Messiah's faithfulness in verse 49. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I be about my capital F, father's business? She might not have been faithful, but the Son of God was. That's right. Okay, so Mary was in the wrong. Mary was in, in sin, but now Jesus is, is faithful because he says, don't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? <sighs> okay. And of course, okay, right. And then he had to do a little bit of, you know, bashing Catholics there. Okay. All right. Oh, oh man. See, when, if you ever listen to Catholic radio, they, they a lot of times mock the Protestants preachers when they mention Catholicism because how like the things they say. And that's one of the reasons I, uh, as a, a Baptist pastor, decided to enroll at a Catholic university to uh, pursue a degree in Catholic theology because I got so tired, sick and tired of hearing Protestant pastors say things about Catholicism. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you're not immaculately, immaculately conceived and, and seemingly to imply that immaculate conception refers to virgin birth. It's so like, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard things preached about Catholicism that is utterly embarrassing because of how utterly irresponsible it is. But let, let's see where he goes with this. And see, when we look at the importance of his paternity, she tried to make out that like Joseph was father to keep all the talk down, but he didn't care. He said, my father. That 12-year-old is sitting in there questioning doctors and lawyers and all that. All of a sudden, he's, he's asking them things about the law. They, they don't know what to do with him. And then she comes in and says what she does. I got a better question for you than all this. How is it you lost him for three days and couldn't find him? 
How did you lose him? Knowing that God entrusted you with that. Okay, now, I mean, I guess he, I guess the point of this sermon is Mary was a piece of garbage mom. I guess that's what the point of the, Mary was a sinner who couldn't keep up with her kid. Most believe that this would have been a family traveling and like with all kinds of extended family, right? Not just Mary and Joseph, but all extended family. And they traveled in some form of a caravan. So most likely the concept was, hey, they're all headed back and there's all this and Jesus is mingled in with all the others and he's with someone and no one realized that he was missing. Now, if that makes you a bad parent, okay, I'm just, for confession's sake, me, and my wife, I think it was my oldest daughter, she was she was a baby. I mean, like an infant. I mean, we had to put her in the car seat, all of those kinds of things. We leave church and we're we're in the car. <laughs> we're talking about the sermon. I don't know what we're ta- talking about, what we're going to have for supper. I don't know. I think it was like a Wednesday night and we're talking, maybe I'm talking about I got to go to work the next day. Don't know what, who knows what I'm talking, we're talking about. And all of a sudden we realize, oh, oh no. <laughs> We left, we left our daughter at church. We left our daughter at church. What are you doing? What, what are you doing? And then immediately, immediately we went back and there sat the pastor's wife in the nursery, just holding our daughter. And we're like, oh no. And we felt like garbage parents. But uh, I don't know if you know this, but things can happen. But okay, uh, she's, a, she's a garbage mom who's a sinner. That's, that's, that, that's really becoming the message of this <laughs> And that somehow Luke 2.43 is corrupted in other translations because they refer to Mary and Joseph as the parent. But the King James is 100% accurate and referring to them as parents in verse 41. (laughs) It's the most absurd thing I've ever, this sermon, I don't even know what this is. Well, we got to finish it. We got to finish it. Now, and it took three days to figure out he's gone? But listen to this. Do you know he was never lost? They went in Jerusalem and spent three days looking for him until they went to the temple. And can I tell you this, and you get this thing loud and clear, he's wherever you left him at too. That's exactly where he was at, right where they left him. And he's still right where you left him. Wherever you walked off from, he's right there. When Jonah jumped in that boat and said, I'm not going to Tarshish, the well spit him back up on that very shore, right where he left him. I know theoretically a saved person can't leave Jesus. Wait a minute. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm... Trying to remember how, how's this? Am I missing the story of Jonah here? Am I am I getting confused? Uh, I'm I'm getting. I think am I am I getting confused here? All right. Okay, I'm not I'm not going to go through there. But I think it's made it sound like was did was. Hang on, I, I'm I'm really confused here. I'm really 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 confused here. Okay, I don't think he meant it that way. Now I'm thinking of how he actually meant it. But now I'm getting so worried about everything he says that I'm questioning everything now. And I don't want to start doing that. But that's what happens when when things just get said that are so absolutely crazy. You become very, very, very concerned. And you're like, okay, um, 
you, 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 you just everything you hear now, you, you have a tendency to be a little bit more um, like, what what is going on here? Um, okay, here's Jonah. All right, so, so now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. All right, but Jonah rose to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, so he 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 jumps he goes to Tarshish and he jumps on a, on a ship right and he goes down 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 then the great fish uh he prays and then uh let's see where is it uh where and then in verse okay and the lord spake unto the unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land and the word of the lord came unto Jonah uh, the second time, arise, saying, "Arise, go into Nineveh." So, did it? Did the did the fish bring him back to Tarshish? Okay, may, maybe he did. Okay, I don't know. All right, I, I'm just trying to figure out exactly where he's going with that. Uh, <laughs> okay, someone someone who's listening, they have to go to a meeting. All right, I apologize. You have to go to a meeting. I'm sorry, I couldn't have finished this, but all right, I'm just trying to figure out what he's talking about. Okay, so maybe he got that right because he arise, go to Nineveh. So did he get thrown up on basically the shores there for Nineveh or was it back in Tarshish and then he had to get back in a boat and travel back to Nineveh? All right, so I, we, we could take that apart. Let, let's continue. I don't want to get sidetracked either. Here we go. But wherever you left the will of God, it is still waiting on you right That's there. Right. Lines clearly drawn, the will of God clearly accepting you back and forgiveness if you'll just come to him. Isn't that something? How did you miss him for three days? Was it that fun without him? That's what they were doing. Because, see, they had misplaced faith. Verse 50 says, They understood not the saying which he spake unto them. All right, let me ask you a question here. Has there ever come a time in your life in which you read something in this book and you don't understand it? If you said, why never, you lie. Amen. There's always going to be something you don't understand. Yeah. Even the simplest thing will get by the most, the most complex person. But we still believe it. Right. Just because I don't understand it doesn't make it any less true. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why, why things go the way they do. I just know this. There's a bigger plan going on than I know about on both sides of the issue. I know the devil's up to something, and I know God already has his will. It's going to come steamrolling over him at some point in time. And just like everything I've read in this scripture, when it looks like the people of God are surrounded and defeated, God shows up. When it looks like that they're going to wipe Israel off the face of this earth and take them into captivity for 80 years, guess who shows up at the end of 80 years and says, you want me back now? Okay. I'm here. But in the meantime, we got Daniel in the lion's den. We got the three Hebrew children being put in the furnace, all those things through there. You got God's people suffering and God showing up right at the right time. What do they do? Um, They understood not the saying. I don't understand a lot of it. Do you know that there is a thing in the Bible where there's a lineage of the kings of the north and the kings of the south there, and and you go through all that, and you'll find a common denominator in every one of them. The good kings, it says they followed after their father David, and the bad kings, it says this, 
they followed not the statutes of the Lord, nor did repeat it. And boy, we've got a lot of Bible history seeing that thing over and over, and yet we still do the same dumb things over and over. Like I said, somebody's got a big plan at work over here on the devil's side, and then God's got a big plan, and he already knows what their plan is. He's going to show up and spoil it. I'm a little confused. The Babylonian captivity was 70 years, not 80 years. And you're saying that he showed up at the end of the 70 years and said, okay, do you want me back now? If you do, I'll bring you out of captivity. Wasn't it predicted exactly how long they would be in captivity and when they would come out? Isn't that like uh, Jeremiah figured that under, came to an understanding of exactly how long the cap, it was it Jeremiah? I think it was, or was it Daniel? I can't remember, but I, I thought that they understood like, okay, I don't know. I'm just, it just seemed like that they were in captivity until they wanted God back. And then he like okay, maybe. All right, I'm, I'm just trying to follow all this. Right at the right moment. And you know what? There's a verse of scripture above the UN talking about world peace from the Bible. And you know there's going to be one day a man's going to walk in there and give them that. And for three and a half years, they're going to experience it. Oh, but in the meantime, it's okay. You and I will be in heaven eating. <laughs> Marriage, supper, the lamb, and whatnot. Like, we ain't even worried about it. You know why? Because when you get on that side and see what, what's going on that side, you'll, <laughs> this ain't nothing. God's got this. That's right. I look here at these scriptures, and I see this thing about that misplaced faith, but I see the importance of his paternity. If you put your faith in the wrong people, you'll wind up with the wrong results. But if you put them in, in the Lord, and you, you're his child, you wind up with the right results every time. Third, Listen, third place of importance to the young Lord Jesus, look down at verse 44, is the importance of his people. Now, this is his family he's traveling with, relatives. And back then, from everything I can read and find out about a caravan like this, if you were going to go to a religious festival, you didn't walk down there by yourself if you had to walk a distance. And I... I had in my mind thinking about, you know, robbers and thieves and stuff, and they were there. But do you know what else was there? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, wild animals. There wasn't a game warden with fences up down through uh, Israel down there to keep all the people back, the animals back from the people. I know land connects Israel with Africa, but there was lions there, and I know there was gorillas there because they was brought in when Solomon was king. Kind of like a turtle on the fence post. How'd it get there? Somebody put it there. Here's a crazy thing. You go trexing off 100 miles one way, walking by yourself, and that thing sees you out there, he ain't got a McDonald's to go eat at. He's coming to eat you. So if you have a large group of people, and usually them animals would pass you on by. So uh, earlier he was like, I don't know, how could they lose Jesus? Now he, he's acknowledging the caravan or traveling with all kinds of relatives. Very easy to think that Jesus is with another relative. So you already threw Mary under the bus. Now you are offering an explanation. And how do you keep saying these are the things that are important to Jesus? This whole sermon, I don't even know what this is. This Okay, let's just let him run this out. Uh, now we've got wild animals that I guess, uh, okay. So they got together one big caravan. They're heading out there. And I see Jesus placing the uh, place of importance on the importance of his people. Divided and alone will be attacked. 
How is Jesus placing the importance on people? This is just the way that people travel. This is not Jesus making something important. And then you're going to take that and say, now we have to make this as important. That has nothing to do with this text. The text is not saying that. The text is not claiming that. This is, uh, once again, the sermon gets in the way of the actual text. More worried about writing a sermon than actual handling the text. Uh, This is my constant complaints about preaching. But when we all together, not so much. I've heard people say when I've said this before, they say, "What do you? How do you explain these church shootings? Some idiot does something he ain't supposed to. That's how you explain that. And it's usually not some wacko job. It's uh, against the the United States or something. It's usually a mentally ill person. Well, we need more gun laws. He broke fifteen of them walking in the door with a loaded gun. And he couldn't get a gun permit if he wanted one. How about that? By the way." As a public service announcement today from the state of South Carolina, I want to tell you something. Those of you that want to get in online and get you one of the little medical marijuana cards, if they get that thing legal here, or if you want to go out of state and get one, help yourself. Go get you one. But I hope you don't mind handing over that CWP, because once they hear you got a medical marijuana card, they want their CWP back. You can't have both them cards in the same name. Smoke pot or have guns? Take your pick. Oh, what? Uh, I I I have reviewed <laughs> I've reviewed so many sermons. Uh, uh, <laughs> what? I don't I. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Isn't that great? Get high and be a victim of both sin and the devil? Or admit that stuff sin and stay away from it? Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, they did it out in Oregon, and you see what kind of shape they in. Yeah. They did it in Colorado. Oh, and the governor's saying, we can't get nobody to work out here. Wonder why. Hide their welfare check and their work boots, and they'll, find, they'll figure out something. Listen to this. The importance of his people, they were trusting, because in verse 44, but supposing him to have been in the company, when a day's journey, they sought him amongst their kinsfolk and acquaintance. They, they thought, that you know what? He's with us. He'll be okay. That's how they lost him right there. Verse 45. Well, then why did earlier you throw Mary under the bus? Why, why did you throw Mary under the bus earlier? I, I... Then they were troubled, said when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. I hope when you realize that he's not around where he's supposed to be, you'll go get him. They were trusting, but they were troubled when they saw he wasn't there. But then if you'll notice verse 46 and 47, it came to pass after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And they heard, all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Three days they found him. They were trusting and troubled, but can I tell you this, when all that's going on in your family... He was triumphant. He wasn't lost not one second. He was right where they left him. 
and was astonishing people that were five times his senior. Wouldn't it be something if we had a 12-year-old boy could come in the church house and start asking all these older people in the church house different things about the Bible and then be able to tell them where it's at in the Bible, explain it to them properly according to what the Scripture said, and do that. Would we not stand back and marvel at something like that? Not a seminary genius at 12 years old. Not somebody that's went out and uh, went through grammar school by the time they were six years old, college by the time they was 10. We're talking about somebody that's just been going along with all the rest of the kids. All of a sudden, he, he knows everything like this. Could they not see who he was at that time? I, I mean, where is our, where, where is our, our Simeons? Where is our Annas at in this situation? Are they crowded out because of the Passover feast there? I look at this stuff and I see the importance he places on his people. And I notice this. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. They didn't receive him here. They walked out the door and said, that's a smart kid. But they didn't do nothing with him. See, we're seeing something at birth. They said, well, maybe she would get born a virgin, but we sure have a lot of them not at the local Jerusalem high school down here. And then we get on down here, now he's 12 years old. They said, boy, that kid's smart. And they still hadn't done nothing with him. By the time he shows back up at 33, they're not going to do nothing with him, but try to kill him. Why? If he's who he says he is, they're all fake. And if they're who they say they are, then he's fake. But one of them can raise the dead, and it's not all them other guys. One of them can feed 5,000. It's not them. One of them, listen, one of them can walk in the middle of people trying to accuse one woman of adultery, take his finger and write something in the ground, and then look at it and walk off. So what do you think he wrote? I don't think it really matters. Whatever he wrote, they understood it, and they thought, yeah, well, I did that, but so did everybody else, you know, whatever they tried to say. And I see him bringing the goods on that thing because he didn't place importance on one thing. He didn't place it on sin. He placed it on people. Yeah. I, I look at this, and I see him sitting there reasoning with these guys, asking them questions about things and stuff like that. And they're astonished, it says. They were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they asked him questions, he could answer I've heard a lot of people say, well, I don't really know the Bible, but I've been saved 50, 100, 11 years or whatever. Well, how do you not know nothing? If you just read the Bible every day, you'd have something. Right. If you just went to church three times a week, you'd have something. If you just, if you just uh, you know, studied the Bible for yourself and looked up words and tried to see what God actually said instead of trying to figure out what everybody else said God said, you would have something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to laugh. I guess a Bible study is you just study the Bible on your own. You just look up words. You just look up words. Bible study is just looking up words. That's that's the new Bible study method. I, I have to laugh because I get frustrated because I do get irritated that sometimes that's the way church. At, study the Bible on your own. You just highlight, underline, and look up some words. There's your Bible study method. That's not a Bible study method, but okay. okay. There was a... there there. I, I think uh, I'm doing a dissertation on this. I think there's 27 books in print on how to study the Bible right now. Just on how to study the Bible. Every group has somebody that wrote a book on it. You know what the most impressive of them books was? The ones that were written by people that actually did study the Bible. 
they could tell you something. They're not telling you to go get 10,000 translations and 54 commentaries. They're saying, what you do is you read the Bible. That's where they start at. And that's how you know who's, who's on tap with the thing. If you just read the Bible and ask God to show you, you'll get more out of it. Oh, the old-fashioned, read the Bible and ask God to show you, and that's how you learn. <laughs> Oh, I'm trying not to laugh, but it's just so ridiculous. It doesn't, if it worked that way, we read the Bible, we pray and God shows us, then we would all, there would be perfect unity in doctrine because God would all show us the same interpretation. If God showed you that your interpretation of much of Luke 2, 41 to 52 is what you have preached, then I'm sorry, God wasn't showing you anything. Oh, that is such an over-spiritual way. Christians love that. You, you read it, you pray, and then God shows you what it means. Well, then there should be perfect unity in the body of Christ. We, everyone should be able to pray, read and pray, and come to the same conclusion about baptism, the Lord's Supper, salvation. I can go on and 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 on, but there's no agreement on anything. I don't know what in the world Luke 2, 41 to 52 actually means. One guy offered this piece of advice. He said, pray and ask God to help you before you start. It is his book, after all. I got stuck a few weeks ago in that English grammar book we got for the Bible Institute, and I didn't get what the guy was saying. Here's a good part. Brother Richard Hughes is still alive. So I got my phone, called him up. I said, tell me about this. Why, sure, brother. And he began, and once I heard his voice, it clicked with me what he wrote. I said, stop. I said, I got it now. I just had to hear your voice for a second there to get this thing. I read Final Authority by Bill Grady. It was technical. It had all this stuff in it and a bunch of Yankee humor I didn't understand. I had Bill in to preach. He told Catholic jokes, Jew jokes. Yankee humor? I think the Civil War is over. Okay, all right. Polak jokes, anything that lived in New York City when he was there, they all have jokes for him. Everybody, even white people. And he's telling me that, and I'm sitting there in that thing listening to it, and I thought, man. And I got final authority while I was here and reread it while he's here. I get it. I heard his voice. The humor made sense. Most of it. Then about 10 years later, I'm sitting at a Catholic funeral, and that guy gets up and says something about dominoes or something, and I'm sitting there laughing. Michael Jackson's are you laughing? Yeah, I'm laughing. I get the jokes now. I call Bill in the parking lot. Catcher. I said, I get all them Catholic jokes now. I've never been to one of them things. We just don't have them around here in abundance like they do up in New York City. So now I got the joke. You went to a Catholic funeral and you're laughing because they chanted something in Latin. Okay, that's... Glad you went to the funeral to show respect to whoever had died. I am that's that's or to the family, and that you were laughing because of uh, uh, something said in Latin. I guess that's funny. I hope we didn't think I was disrespecting them too bad. But when you sit in somewhere after ten years and you get the joke, you'll laugh too, won't you? I mean, it's just one of them things. My father can beat your father in dominoes. I don't know what he really said, but that's what I heard when he said it, because I heard them say it. 
Y'all are a difficult crowd. Me and Chris McGleesey sit in Tennessee, and Brother Grady's up there, and he says, oh, we got an Italian with us today. So he starts rattling off Italian jokes, and Chris McGleesey's in there killing himself laughing, and I'm going, shut up. He said, you don't get that? I said, no. He said, you don't have any Catholic friends? I said, yeah, you. You have no Italian friends? Yeah, you. What What's the deal with the jokes from people from different religious backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds? What, I don't... What has this got to do with the sermon? Hey, telling ethnic jokes. <laughs> That's funny. Telling jokes about people who are Catholic. <laughs> what what is what does this have to do with Luke 2 41 to 52? What what is even the point? That's why I don't get this yet. But you're getting funnier by the minute here, by the way. Listen. The importance he placed on his people was we're better together than we are separate. But we're nothing without him. Where is that in Luke 2, 41 to 52? That has nothing to do with the text. Do you get that? Let me ask you a question. Are you his people? Are you his people? Let's stand with every head bowed, every eye closed. Wow, that is... All right, I, I I don't know what to say. I literally have no idea what to say. That is, there is so much wrong in this thing. I don't even know what to do. I, I mean, I, I I don't even know what to do other than to the person who asked me to review it. You, I think you asked me what to do. I I, I wouldn't do anything. I, I mean, it's, I mean, there's just, I would never tell you not to listen to someone because I listen to all kinds of things. So I would continue. I mean, you can listen and, and as much as you want, but I would just be very, I mean, you just got to know how to analyze what you're hearing and seeing is it truthful to the text. And I mean, that's just, wow. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. I have no other words. That concludes the sermon review I was asked to do. And remember, I don't listen to them in advance. I don't know what else to say. I don't know if there's anything that needs to be said. I think anyone who's honest and care, and care, care about the text, you saw the issues. So I'll stop there. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. And uh, we'll be back and we'll do some more live broadcasting. I don't know. I may eat some lunch right now. I don't know. Um, I'm going to try not to laugh. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.